Are you currently renting, but you'd love to become a homeowner? On today's episode, we're covering part three in the step-by-step process of transitioning from renter to homeowner. Hello and welcome to the Homeowner Prep Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Alon, and this podcast was created to provide real-world advice and accountability for first-time homebuyers. We'll be interviewing industry experts, providing some how-tos, and talking with first-time homebuyers about their personal experiences. If that sounds interesting to you, please be sure to subscribe, and if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to hit the little bell to be notified when new episodes release. Now let's dive into today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to part three of this series. This has really been a deep dive and understanding the transition of how to move from being a renter to becoming a homeowner. And these are typical questions that we get along the way. So if you haven't had a chance, definitely check out the first two episodes of this series. We covered the pre-pre-approval, things that you can do to kind of get the ball rolling before you even talk to a loan officer. And part two, we covered the actual pre-approval process. So talking with the loan officer, working with them, explaining the differences between the loan officers and how that impacts your credit. Um, And then today we're going to really be diving into the real estate side. (laughs) And it's funny because, you know, in in all of my years of, of working with clients and then even since we started Homeowner Prep, we often find that most first time homebuyers start the process here. They start by looking at real estate. They start by going out to open houses. And so, you know, you really want to avoid doing that. You want to take those um, steps that we explained in the first two series because you want to make sure that when you're out looking that you're actually ready, qualified, and pre-approved to buy that type of home. I mean, there are a lot of neighborhoods that you can go to and visit and and visit open houses and and go see some mansions, which are great. But unless you're just kind of doing that for fun, um, it's really not going to help you in buying your first place. And so you just kind of want to understand, hey, am I qualified to buy this type of home before you actually start looking at that type of home? <laughs> and so today we're going to talk about that. You know, at the end of the last episode, we kind of touched on, you know, why you should have a, a real estate agent of your own, not just a listing agent, and who pays that agent. You know, understanding that the seller is paying your agent, but they are still working for you. And so you need to put them to work. And so the first thing that you can do is after you have your pre-approval letter in hand, hopefully a fully underwritten pre-approval, you're ready to actually get out and go see homes. And things have changed. I mean, even since I got licensed back in 2006, things have changed. So before you would go out and you would see, you know, 40, 50 homes, sometimes up to 100 homes before you'd actually make an offer, before you found something that you liked. Nowadays, you can take all that time and compress it because of the internet, because of some great websites that are out there that people use daily um, and apps that they use. And so oftentimes your agent may not even see the home before you see it because you're getting alerted. You have an app that alerts you all day and night where your agent may only reach out at certain times of the day. And so you will often find that you see a property that you like and you'll send it over to your agent. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you're just, like I said, you have an alert set up. You Hopefully you know the type of home that you're looking for. And we'll dive a little bit into that. And you're going to be notified first. So when you see a home and it's something that, hey, it interests you, I would suggest definitely check it out on the internet. Look at all the pictures. If they have a virtual walkthrough, go through the virtual walkthrough because that might, you know, cancel some properties out for you. You know, but look at everything that they have to offer, look at all the information, 
and then say, okay, this is the type of home that I could see myself in and send it over to your agent. When you sit down with your agent, initially, you should be talking about that type of home. You know, we, we talk about this all the time, but if you're looking at, say, um, you know, a five bedroom home, but currently, you know, you're just, you're living with your parents and you could probably suffice with a one or two bedroom, you know, those are things to consider. Hey, is that a need or is it a want? Yes, I'd love to have five bedrooms, but if I'm still sitting here either paying rent or living with family or doing whatever it is that's, you know, really, you know, keeping me in that trap and not getting my foot in the door, then maybe I can start off with a two bedroom. You know, your first home is not your last home. It doesn't have to be your forever home. And so you just want to get your foot in the door. So look at, you know, talk with your agent, look at all the the areas of interest, you know, maybe you're living in a certain neighborhood, but you can live in a more affordable area temporarily, a couple years, you know, <laughs> doesn't have to be a forever home. Um, or maybe you like a, a nice big 2,000, 3,000 square foot home, but you can suffice with about 1,200 square feet, you know, so whatever the case may be, you need to really outline, hey, these are my needs and these are my wants. I'd love to have as many of these wants as possible, but I really have to attack these needs. If you really need two bedrooms, stick to it. Don't look at one bedrooms. Um, you know, don't confuse your agent by sending him or her one bedroom homes when you told them that you needed two. <laughs> you know, whatever those needs are, let's stick to those. And then, of course, as many wants as possible. But we really need to stay in budget. You, you, you don't want to be living to pay the mortgage. So we want to make sure that it is affordable. And trust me, there's gonna be some sticker shock, you know. So when I say in budget, don't think that, you know, typically your your rent might seem to be, oh, well, hey, this is only 2,000, but this house is gonna be 2,500. Yes, that's true, they, there may be some sticker shock there, but the benefits that you're getting, the appreciation, possibly tax write-offs, you know, those are going to counteract that 500. So if you can afford it, if the bank says you can afford it, um, then get the house. Don't keep paying the rent because of a $500 difference. Initially, it'll be some sticker shock. You will adjust. You will make some cutbacks. Oftentimes, your first mortgage isn't due for like 45 days, so you have some time to put some money aside if needed. But honestly, if it's a $500 a month difference, um, then you're only looking at $6,000 a year, and chances are you're gonna either get that in appreciation or some type of tax benefit. So. You know, I will address that as the sticker shock because oftentimes first-time homeowners will have that. But again, you know, let's look at the needs, the budget. Let's look at how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms. I'm one person, I will always say to my clients, if you have a, you know, you're gonna buy a house, try your best to at least get one and a half bathrooms. And I say this because you don't want a lot of people, people you invite, in your bathroom. So if you get a one bedroom, one bath home, now whoever comes over is using your bathroom, right? And so at least try to just have a some type of powder room, half bath set up so that guests can use that when they come over. Uh, you just don't want a lot of people in your personal bathroom. That would be my advice. It's not a, a necessary need, it's just something that I advise clients on. So you may wanna think about that when you're kind of considering your needs and your wants. Um, another thing to consider is, you know, if they're, if you're in a very busy market, very competitive market, 
chances are, and I know a lot of agents will say that they don't do this or they won't do this, but if they do it, you're going to have to make multiple offers at one time. So how I preface this with my clients is I'll say, hey, I'm willing to make multiple offers because of the market that we're in. However, we're not going to make offers on properties that you're not going to want to move forward with. So if we have two offers out, whichever one comes back with, the agreement is we're going with that one. And that's an agreement you have to have up front. Don't make an offer on a home, let it get accepted, and then say, I'm going to wait till I hear back on that other one because you're going to miss out on both. So my advice to you is if you're in a very competitive market where you need to move quickly and you're putting out multiple offers, go with the first one that gets accepted. If you're not willing to go with that one, don't make the offer. And so that would be my advice. You know, again, a lot of agents will say, don't do this. They're not, they'll say, hey, I don't do that, but they do. I've been in this business long enough to know they do it, especially in those types of markets. We just came out of a crazy market where this was going on all the time. And we saw it because then you'd see an escrow fallout or, you know, an earnest money deposit wasn't made or whatever the case may be. You'll see it because this, this is going on in that market. Things are slowing down a little bit, so we may not see it as much. But definitely, you know, don't make an offer on a place that you don't want to move forward with. So what does it take to make an offer? So we have in California, and every state is going to be different, but in California, we have a residential purchase agreement, which is a standardized form um, where you're going to spell out all the terms of your offer. There are a lot of things that you can adjust, not just price. A lot of people think, well, hey, I want to, you know, this is the price I want, but how fast do you want to close? You know, are you willing to waive any contingencies? Contingencies are things like, you know, an appraisal or a loan approval or an inspection. Those are considered contingencies. So those are things that give you a right to cancel if something were to come up through the escrow process. So typically within 17 days, you have room or, you know, you have a right to back out if something were to come up and those are your contingencies. So if you want to make your offer stronger, maybe you waive a contingency or maybe you waive all contingencies. Depends on where you're at, your situation. Talk to your real estate agent about that and your loan officer. <laughs> um, you know, so waiving contingencies is an option. Earnest money deposit, I, I mentioned that before, an EMD, which is your earnest money deposit. That's how much you're putting down with your offer. Now, let's say you're buying VA, There's it's a no money down program but you still need to make an earnest money deposit. Well, you can make an earnest money deposit of $500, $1,000, or up to 3% of your offer. So if you're offering $500,000 on a property, you can make an earnest money deposit of $15,000. What happens to that earnest money deposit? All of your closing costs will be deducted from that. And then if you're in a no money down program where you know the difference is you still have some coming back, you'll receive a check from escrow for that amount that you, that you get back. Um, because you paid above and beyond what your costs were going to be. If you have a down payment, so say you're doing an FHA program and you have 3.5% and you made a 3% um, earnest money deposit, again, those closing costs will be deducted. Any amount that's left over will be used for your down payment and then you'll come in with a check um, or wire the, the remaining balance. And they'll let you know that when you go to sign your loan docs at the end, what that remaining balance is. So. You know, the bigger the earnest money deposit, the more serious you look as a buyer. So I, I will say that. And so again, there's terms in the RPA, the Residential Purchase Agreement, that 
the agent can adjust to make your offer stronger. Talk those over with your agent. Talk them over with your loan officer. They should be in communication so they know how to make the strongest and best offer for you. The quicker you close may be a good thing or there may be a seller who really wants time um, to, to stay in the place. Maybe the school year needs to end or whatever the case may be. So certain terms are not necessarily, you know, cut and dry best terms. Um, it's gonna be depending on what your agent says, what the uh, seller is going through their situation, and then what your loan officer says. So it's, a def it's definitely a team effort, <laughs> you know. So let's say your offer gets accepted. You've made a strong offer, it gets accepted. The first things you need to do are due diligence items. You need to do a home inspection, you need to do a pest inspection, you need to really make sure that what you're buying is a solid investment. This is not a uh, requirement, <laughs> but it's a strong suggestion. You do not have to get a home inspection, but I would suggest you do. Again, you're making a big purchase. You're on the hook for this. You're making payments on this for the next 15 to 30 years. And so you want to know that I'm buying a solid investment, something that's going to appreciate. It's not going to fall apart on me, you know, things of that nature. So there's a lot of things that you can have inspected. You can have chimneys inspected, roofs inspected, again, termite and a, a complete 360 home inspection. So think about those things, talk them over with your agent and get them done. You want to make sure that you're good to go so you can clear that inspection contingency, do your due diligence on your, on your property. Then you're going to have an appraisal done. So the, the loan officer that you're working with will order the appraisal. Um, typically in California, that's about $600. So you would need to pay for that. So the appraisal gets done and you want to make sure that the appraisal comes back at your contract price or above. Right. So if I made an offer for $500,000 on a property, let's say it comes back at $550,000. Well, hey, that's 50,000 in equity that I have right off the back. I'm good to go. Seller does not have the right to, to renegotiate at the time. We're at contract price. If the price comes back, the appraisal comes back at 450. Well, now we got some renegotiations to do. It's not necessarily just a cancellation, but it is a conversation between the agents and between their clients to say, hey, it came back at 450. We offered 500. The bank is not going to give you more than 450. And remember, the bank is the one who's holding the mortgage. So they're the ones who are doing the appraisal. They want to make sure that they're paying the price that it's worth. So they're going to give you the 450 and somehow you're going to have to make up that difference. Well, let's say you have some money in the bank or let's say you can receive a gift because you're doing FHA from a family member and you can renegotiate with that seller and say, hey, it came back at 450. We're at 500. Let's buy it at 475. Would your client be willing to do it? If they say yes, you can bring in the difference, pay above and beyond what the bank was willing to pay um, and, and still keep that escrow going and, and continuing to move towards the finish line. I would suggest this in appreciating markets. Um, typically, let's say if I bought that $500,000 home and appreciation in the area for the last 10 years has been 5%, you know, um, you know, then that's an extra $25,000 a year that I'm making on appreciation. So just one year of being in the house covers that gap difference that I had to come in with above what the bank was willing to pay. So talk these things over. Don't just feel like, hey, it's only worth 450 and I'm not, you know, I'm not gonna pay a dime over 450. In your situation, it may be best that you lock it in if it's a competitive market because as prices continue to go up, next thing you know, you're gonna be making offers at, instead of 500, you're making offers at 525 and 540 and 550. 
And so as your offers are going up, you end up paying the difference anyway over the life of 30 years, which tends to be even more. So yes, $25,000 cash is a lot better than financing $25,000 because you're paying interest on that money. So keep that in mind. You know, as you go through the appraisal, the appraisal comes back. You know, if it doesn't come back at value, it's not the end of the day. We can still make some negotiations and hope to keep the deal together. So once the appraisal is done and you guys have negotiated, things are good, you can clear that contingency. And the last contingency is typically your loan contingency because they want to have that appraisal. They want to finalize that loan. Even though you've had your full underwriting done, they want to make sure that things are good, you're qualified for that loan, and you can close on that loan. And so once your loan officer does so, you can clear that last contingency and you're going to be set up. They're going to actually issue docs, which is you know a big milestone. So the loan off the loan officer will request docs from the lender. They're going to send it to escrow. Escrow will organize it. You know, arrange a time for you to come in and sign docs. Here in California, that stack is pretty hefty. <laughs> um, other states, you know, it's, it's not so hefty. But you're going to come in and actually sign those loan documents. They're going to tell you if you have a balance due that you need to bring in or wire to escrow, um, and then you're going to go ahead and take care of that last payment sign those last docs and then it's typically three days later that they're not necessarily three days later but they have to issue i'm sorry they have to issue a cd uh, which is a disclosure that goes out here in california um that is going to be give you three days as kind of like a, a review to make sure you're going to be good to go and then you can sign docs so they have to issue the cd three days pass you can sign the docs goes back to the lender and typically within 24 to 48 hours they approve it they fund it now you're at another milestone you just went through funding the loan is done escrow has the money escrow will then record the transaction with the county and they're going to record it and notify your agent and say hey we just recorded on the home congratulations we're officially closed and that's when you celebrate. You don't celebrate before. You don't celebrate when your offer gets accepted. You don't celebrate, you know, when, you know, hey, I've, uh, I've wired the funds for my earnest money deposit. You know, hey, I'm already decorating the home. Or I've already done this, done all of our inspections. Celebrate when you close, when you get the keys in hand. Escrow will notify your agent when you close and you'll, the agent will get the keys to you. So, that's the process you know i know i covered a lot there <laughs> it's a lot to unpack i just want to make sure that you understand it's a step-by-step -step process you don't handle it all at one time if you have a good agent and a good loan officer working on your behalf um, who have inspectors that they work with who you know have their own team that they can put to work on your behalf then you're going to be fine you just need to know where you're at what phase what step are you in right now and what's the next step so that you can anticipate that step? You know, what's next? And a good real estate agent will keep you informed of where we're at, here's what's next. Where we're at, here's what's next. And next thing you know, you're at the finish line, you've signed docs, you've recorded with the county, and you got keys in hand. Congratulations. So that is the full process. Hopefully you had a chance to check out all three of these episodes. It's gonna tell you exactly how to transition from being a renter to being a homeowner, it's not difficult, but there are obstacles, there are challenges, there are things that you need to be prepared for, and you don't need to make life harder on yourself than you need. So 
you know, hopefully this information was valuable to you. Again, you can always take the first step with us at Homeowner Prep. If you're not sure, if you're qualified, if you need a plan, if you need some accountability, that's what we're here for. We'll walk through this process with you. You can reach us at homeownerprep.com forward slash start and just start the journey. Start where you're at, you know, no matter where you're at. And if you have any simple questions that you just need answered, you can always send us a direct message on any of our social media platforms. Uh, typically, we get questions on Instagram at homeowner prep. So feel free to reach out. Again, I hope this information was valuable to you. Hopefully it, w- hopefully it wasn't over the top. Go back, look at it a few times. If you have questions, don't hesitate to reach out. I look forward to providing you with some great info on the next episode of Homeowner Prep. And until then, make it a great day. Be blessed. I hope you got some value from today's episode. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this show, be sure to share it with them. And if you're listening to the podcast, we'd love for you to drop us a review. We'd also love to hear from you if you have any questions. So reach out to us on Instagram at Homeowner Prep. Who knows? We may read your review and answer your question on one of our future shows.